As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Today we're going back to our conversation about simulation for part two of this rebroadcast. Last week's episode discussed the growth of deep fakes and other digital technologies, which allow us to simulate human faces and speech with increasing accuracy. We thought about how these developments have been presaged for decades by sci-fi, including Philip K. Dick's iconic novels, but also by the influential and yet eccentric French philosopher Jean Baudrillard. Baudrillard sketched out four phases of simulated reality, beginning with a first phase of accurate faithful representation, where an image acted as a sacrament. We're going to pick up the discussion as John explains the next phase in Baudrillard's analysis. So what's, that's phase one. What, what does Baudrillard suggest is the second phase? So in the second phase, he says it moves from being a, a, a sacramental positive representation into something that's an evil appearance. And he says that it, he uses two interesting words. He says it masks and it denatures reality, this evil appearance. And he calls it, it's of the order of maleficence as opposed to the first one with the order of the sacramental. And, uh, and of course, this is, this is talking about the possibility of, of, dis- of using um, digital reality in a way which is deceptive. Um, and I, I think, of, you think immediately of the way that digital world opens us up to um, people who wish to manipulate us, to, to um, fake... Um, people who are pretending to be something that they're not uh, to financial scams to um, uh, many malevolent people out there who who have found that digital technology is a way that they can mask themselves they 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 present themselves as something that in fact they're not Uh, but also sadly uh, that it that it denatures it actually destroys reality in some way it destroys trust it destroys the normal ways that human beings uh, relate to one another. Mm. And I suppose even if it's not done with malicious intent, to use our kind of deep fake Tom Cruise example from the beginning, you know, it's just someone messing around. He's not trying to seriously scam anyone or anything like that. But you can't interact and engage with the actual human being because he has masked himself with Tom Cruise's appearance. Um, And so if I try to interact and engage with that, I'm, I'm not interacting with the real Tom Cruise, but neither am I able to interact with the actual human being behind 
the deep fake and so it's distorted and ultimately you know to use Baudrillard's word denatured destroyed the the actual human interaction which might be possible whereas as you saw in phase one simulation and digital technology can actually enhance human relationship when done in a kind of as we said before a sacramental way yeah that's right and of course it's very subtle isn't it the way that you can move from an accurate representation into something that is distorted so for instance it's very simple on zoom you can improve your appearance you know you just click a on a box and the software will smooth out the wrinkles on your face and make you look more attractive or you can change your background or you can change the way your voice comes across and all these are suddenly you're moving from being the accurate the accurate representation of who I am to to actually creating something that's a fantasy that's that's a I, I'm manipulating you because I'm trying to present myself in a in a more attractive way mm. and it seems sometimes there's almost a kind of inertia within digital technology which pulls you towards greater and greater simulation you know you people join zoom just because they you know they need a pragmatic way of speaking when they can't physically meet but suddenly it tells you well if you just click this button you could smooth out your paws and you click this button and you can rep you can improve your background so it looks a bit nicer and then what if there's and it kind of almost like sucks you gradually inch by inch almost in, in micro steps away from the authentic and the real towards something of greater sim simulation exactly and I, and I and you know if you go back to the online services and so on i'm sure there's a huge pressure on churches presenting themselves and online services to try to use the trickery and the tools of the trade to give a much better impression uh, much slicker much more professional better lighting um, more just throw in some synth pads on your worship music <laughs> so it's not just a one person in their guitar in, in a guitar in their spare room yeah so it's it's it is it's quite it's subtle isn't it but you can see this suddenly morphing into something that is that is masking and denaturing then you go on to the, the his third phase and he says in the third phase the simulation masks the absence of a profound reality so now it's not that it's taking something there and, and twisting it it's now being used to mask the fact that there's nothing there it, he says it plays at being an appearance it is of the order of sorcery and as I was thinking about this and said how how does that apply in this world then I, I was thinking that's probably you could apply that to an emotionally intelligent chatbot quotes you know to something like Alexa that um that comes across as being terribly sympathetic and caring or sassy and funny and sarcastic or however you want it to be. But actually, there's nobody there. It's completely fake. Uh, you're not having a relationship with anyone. There's not a real friend. There's nobody there who cares about you. It's simply clever programming. Hmm. And you can see with Alexa as an example, like we are, you know, they've given... Uh, the software a name a human name and a female voice and you know and even a modicum of personality because it creates a simulation of I'm not just talking to lines of code in a server somewhere in North America connected by the wi-fi to this box in my room but I am in even if we, we know we're not we're talking to a human being but it creates such a 
they've decided Amazon have clearly figured out that that people will engage with it more if it feels more human if it if it layers on a kind of veneer of of humanness over what is completely absent and, and totally machine-like that's right and again you know the technology is improving all the time so there's a there's a company called affectiva um which was set up out of mit and using sophisticated ai to to try to uh, mimic uh, emotional intelligence and um the, i i came across a quote from the affectiva ceo who said what if you came home and alexa could say hey it looks like you had a really tough day at work let me play your favorite song and, and also your favorite wines in the fridge so help yourself to a glass and i i think this is going to come more and more the these uh chatbots and uh, simulated uh, persons are going to become more and more quotes emotionally intelligent and sensitive and will pick up the nuances from your voice and say you know you're obviously having a tough day and you know and 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 i really care about you and uh, you know are, are you getting enough exercise and it's all this kind of simulated friendship but it's actually what Baudrillet would say is is it's masking the fact that there's nothing there hmm um, and the, another application of this that's already started rolling out is is for um, kind of online psychotherapy, online counselling. Um, and there are various services, some some that I believe are free and some more sophisticated ones which you have to pay for, where people who are experiencing kind of mental health crisis or anxiety and depression, um, but they're on a waiting list to see an actual human psychiatrist can in the meantime access uh, a kind of chatbot who will say, how are you feeling and how does that make you feel? And do you think that's connected to your mother or whatever other people counselors will say and it's and it's you know a bit of programming which which gives people the illusion that they are talking through their problems and kind of uh, having a bit of therapy but actually of course there's no one there no one is listening no one actually knows or cares about who they are um and what's remarkable and i think really interesting and challenging to me is that there is some evidence that that people gain benefit from these and that that you know self-reported kind of measures of well-being improve when someone has an opportunity to spend uh, a few hours a week maybe in with a with a with a chatbot therapist and then that raises all these ethic questions of even if they're not quite real are they better than nothing that's absolutely right and again this is a real growth industry um the use of mental health apps on smartphones uh, and because of course so many people have smartphones across the world but don't have access to a mental health professional, a counsellor or a psychiatrist, psychologist. So it's not surprising that uh, the idea that, you know, you, you can have um, this thing on your phone which, which says the sort of things that a, that a counsellor would say um, is an idea whose time has arrived. And, and as you say, there is some evidence um, Particularly, I think, in, in where as a kind of daily uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy program that um, sometimes initially set up by a human psychologist, but then it means that every day your smartphone will speak to you and remind you what you need to do today and, and ask you how you're feeling and, and so on. So there definitely is a, a role for these uh, programs. And, and I think... Um, I, I don't want to say absolutely these are evil and, and deceptive, 
but I, I think I want to draw a distinction between where we're using these programs as as a definite part of therapy for for a disease for somebody who has a mental health disorder, and it's a, and it's it's a form of therapy, and 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 contrast that with this is just normal everyday living. This is how this is how you should live your normal life uh, when you are not uh, in an acute mental health crisis or or battling with some some problem. said something interesting to me just before we came on air which is that you know in many ways lots of people kind of long to have that kind of intimate relationship with someone who at any time of day is accessible to for you to kind of tell them how you feel you know the whole the kind of very famous 2013 film her um starring uh, joaquin phoenix is all about that about a, a kind of lonely depressed isolated man who is given a a, a an artificial intelligence uh, artificial intelligent kind of chatbot in his ear and he kind of eventually falls in love with her and you were suggesting that really this is tapping into a longing that we all have for that kind of friend who's closer than a brother which might even be related to you know in some sense a, a simulation of the holy spirit i think that's right it's a very very deep longing i i when i watched that film i had this sense of poignancy and thinking wouldn't it be wonderful just to have this friend who wherever you went they were constantly there. They knew all about you, and they were always available. And they were, and then I realised that was some kind of simulacrum of, of the Holy Spirit, and it it is a deep longing, that is in the human heart. And the danger is that because we're in a, a society where there's a great deal of relational breakdown, and there's a, people find human relationships difficult and messy and complicated and there's a, there's a great deal of loneliness um, that, that the technology seems to provide a fix it seems to provide a solution uh, that that instead of this messy difficult business of trying to build a relationship with another human being who I don't really understand I've now got this ideal person who's always available who's always friendly who's always interested in me who always thinks I'm great and, and and that's a much better better way to be. And this this comes in the context, we don't have time to go into any detail, but um, there's an iconic book called Bowling Alone. Um, I believe, is it by Putnam, something like that, uh, from the 90s. And, and, and it's a kind of a work of social science, which looking primarily at America, but was kind of sketching out how in the Western world, there's just been a kind of tailing off of communal activity. Um, and, you know, notably in the title, people, you know, now quite often go bowling, uh, temp in bowling by themselves. And, and it was basically explaining that we live like in a, almost like a society that's in a crisis of loneliness and a, a lack of human connection. People, you know, single person households are skyrocketing and, and people are in fewer clubs and societies and, and that kind of stuff. And, and all this technology arrives in a, situ in a society which is yearning for, for meaning and for intimacy and connection and yet has never been more disconnected. That's right. Uh, just to finish the Baudrillard uh, progression, his final stage was what he called the stage of simulacrum, when um, the simulation breaks free from reality completely and it's, it's, it simulates itself. And um, it, this is still largely in the field of science fiction, isn't it? But um, I, I remember there was a whole 
Ferrari about some research which Facebook did in 2017 when they were experimenting with AI bots that were um, communicating with each other and they were designed to negotiate with each other and the bots were programmed to experiment with language in order to see how that affected their ability to negotiate and it was reported that over time the bots seemed to invent a new language to communicate with each other and that there was then sensationalist media coverage that they were trying to speak in a secret code to outwit their human masters and I think all that was just hype and nonsense but it but it does illustrate a sort of way in which once you have two bots having a conversation with each other supposedly a human conversation has now completely lost contact with with reality and I you know and I think interest in virtual reality this idea that you know you put your headset on you put your head headphones on you you just go into a completely different world you can be whoever you like you can experience whatever you like um we're now in a pure simulacrum rather like the matrix hmm. and i mean as you say it's it's it, we're not really there yet but certainly the kind of core principles of machine learning and and neural networks is very much that the human programmer inputs data and then just kind of lets the program run and through like billions of replications these computers teach themselves skills and learn things that the human programmer at the other end hasn't can't fully understand and and i can certainly see you know i'm sure again not an expert on this but i'm sure ai researchers are thinking about what happens when you you know link up two neural networks together and see what they kind of create together and so we're certainly on the cusp it feels like of of that of something that approaching Baudrillard's pure simulacrum where there is no human involved it's just machines talking to machines creating their own reality that's right and I, I think again a lot of this is science fiction but these are themes which will continue I think to be explored But if you just step back and then you think about this from a philosophical point of view, and I've had these conversations with some of my academic colleagues and uh, who are sort of uh, hardline physicalists. In other words, you know, they believe that reality is nothing but physics, it's nothing but stuff, and that the human brain is simply a collection of cells and wiring and human consciousness is just a sort of some kind of emergent property of very complex wiring circuits. If, if that is your worldview, and then you have to say, going back to that original question, if this is a simulation, but it makes me feel good, does it matter? I, I think you're quite hard pressed in a physicalist world to say, yes, it does matter. Because surely, you know, inputs are inputs, stimuli are stimuli. And whether these inputs my sensory impressions they're coming from a real human being or they're coming from a brilliantly simulated human being does that really matter because in the end it's sensations it's stimuli it's impressions and so on and and so i i think from a physicalist philosophy it is quite difficult to see why authenticity matters as opposed to simulation whereas you know, it's pretty clear that if you take the orthodox Christian understanding of the nature of reality, uh, you, you get a very different perspective. You get a, this idea that, that core embodied reality, the, 
the incarnation, when God himself turns himself into the physical space-time embodiment, uh, is saying something very significant about core physical touchable reality as opposed to the simulacrum. I mean, it strikes me, we mentioned at the start that Baudrillard was kind of part of this wave of postmodernism in philosophy, and it's kind of revolves around this idea of kind of questioning and playing with, is there a single truth? Is there a single reality that we have access to? Are we all kind of telling stories? And fundamentally, I believe Christianity is a profoundly anti-postmodernist faith worldview that says, no, there is a real God. There is a single truth. Um, and you saw that, you know, just, just struck me, you know, there was some several kind of the, of the early heresies that were around in the early church in the first few hundred years after Jesus were looking at the nature of Jesus and the incarnation and coming up with ideas of, uh, well, maybe it was just, um, it was, it was, uh, it was, he was a God who had the appearance of a man, but Jesus wasn't actually human. It was just a kind of a, a mask that he put on. Um, or maybe it was, uh, he was just an ordinary man who at one point, maybe at his adoption, kind of put on some divinity before letting it go again. And, you know, these ideas of simulation and kind of questioning reality and is there a, what what's masking and unmasking? And actually, Orthodox Christianity co- coalesced around the idea that no, that Jesus wasn't a simulation. It wasn't a, it wasn't a magic trick. He was a truly, fully human, and at the same time, truly, fully divine simultaneously. Yeah, and so it's fascinating to me that um, the relevance of Trinitarian Orthodox theology uh, suddenly it has a new resonance. Uh, in in this age of digital simulations. And I find it interesting that very many people in our society have a kind of intuition that there's something deeply creepy and, and wrong about this AI, AI simulation of human relationships. But they they don't really have a very robust philosophical or theological reason as to why it might be wrong. Whereas I think that the, the Christian theology does give this philosophically coherent understanding as as to why embodiment matters, why physical reality matters, because God himself has endowed it with eternal significance and has even indwelt it himself and been been you know, as as you say, the early church fathers came up with this formula that Jesus was fully human and fully God, one person in in two natures. And that says something very profound about what it means to be human. Um, and I, I think also it's interesting, isn't it, that, that in the Christian uh, narrative and in, in the Bible, that evil has this aspect of the counterfeit, that mm. that. Evil is never genuinely creative, never genuinely original. All originality, all creativity belongs to God. But what evil can do is it can counterfeit the good. It can counterfeit the beautiful. It can counterfeit the true. And um, and therefore a, a, a deep sense of the need to distinguish between authenticity and counterfeit uh, goes to the very heart of the Christian understanding of the world. And you see that throughout the biblical narrative in, in Genesis, 
the serpent, the personification of evil, uh, is is a deceiver. You know, is questioning God, is telling lies, is planting untruths in Adam and Eve's minds, and all the way through to Satan's encounter with Jesus in the desert in the Gospels. Again, it's the same thing. He's the father of lies. It's it's not about setting up uh, something brand new, but it's about masking and twisting and distorting what God has actually said. Did God really say? And um, are, is it not this? And, and and kind of probing and questioning. And and I think that does say something about how Christians we need to be really thoughtful and watchful about how stuff in our society in our world is distorting and denaturing and masking actual reality um yeah lots to think about there i think so and, and so you know maybe as we draw it to a close i think it is this challenge of, of finding the difference between the sacramental of saying yes there's a lot of here which is actually sacramental and there are ways in which and maybe even the smartphone counselor who is reminding me every day and giving my CBT is in some sense sacramental of a human counsellor. It has a positive sense, but it's finding that where it sort of cuts across from the sacramental to the evil to the counterfeit and ultimately to the simulacrum. Well, let's draw it to a close there. Thanks, John. That's been a really fascinating conversation and lots more threads we could unpick. Maybe we'll come back to it in a future podcast. But until next time, I'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Good to chat.